0: Today's scripture lesson is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verses one through 13. As soon as it was morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. Then the chief priest accused him of many things. Pilate asked him again, have you no answer? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further reply, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the festival, he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they asked. Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So the crowd came, and began to ask Pilate to do for them according to his custom. Then he answered them, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that the chief priest had handed him over. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate spoke to them again, Then what do you wish me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They shouted back, crucify him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to you God. God.
1: May be seated. Have you ever noticed kids have a lot of questions? They like to ask why a lot. You know, why is the sky blue? Why don't animals have to wear clothes? Why do we have to eat vegetables? Um, My kids had a lot of why questions. Um, But as as I've been a dad um, a little while, I've, I've kind of learned something that, that I have more questions for my kids than sometimes my kids have questions for me. And they sound a lot like the same questions that my mother had for me, like, why did you do that? What's wrong with you? <laughs> what were you thinking? And I never had good answers for her at all they're really ones that I don't think there's anything I could have said in some of those moments to defend myself or make myself uh, kind of come out in any sort of way sympathetic. Um, I knew when I heard those questions um, that I was not getting out of trouble. <laughs> um, but over time my, my mother sort of began to zero in on some other questions that um, actually got to be a little bit even more preemptive. She had questions ready uh, regardless of whether she even knew what was going on in that moment at all. Uh, we might be uh, me and my two sisters fighting in a different part of the house. Um, you guys have perfect children. We, we fought all the time and we would argue and we would slam doors and, and we would uh, stomp around and we would jump around and we would throw things and, and we would just launch chaos throughout the house. Um, But then if it got quiet, suspiciously quiet, and all the chaos suddenly stopped in a moment, my mother had a set of questions already ready. Is anybody hurt? Is there any blood? Does anybody have to go to the hospital? Because she knew in that moment that if all of us got quiet at the exact same moment, then something terrible must have happened. And there was one instance where my sisters and I, we were uh, kind of fighting in um, the, the downstairs part of the house, and, 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 and for some reason, um, we were, I was kind of chasing them through the basement, and they made it to the utility room where our washer and our dryer was, and, and, and they slammed the door in my face, and they locked it. The audacity. And so I was pounding on the door. I was hitting my shoulder into the door. I could feel them like pressed up against the bottom of the door underneath it. And I kept hitting it and hitting it. And so I got me a little bit of a head start. And I launched myself into the door. And the door just exploded in front of me as I went flying through to the other side. And suddenly the three of us. Uh, mortal enemies up to that moment were suddenly cast into some sort of unsteady alliance as we realized that all three of us were fixing to get into a bunch of trouble. So we decided we should be a little bit more preemptive on this account. So before we could ever even get a question from my mother upstairs we all yelled in uh... sort of a unified voice we're all okay There's no blood. And then we added, you don't have to come down here. (laughs) But y'all, it didn't work. (laughs) Because there's nothing really in that moment that we're going to say to save our own skin, right? Now, I always tried to defend myself. I always tried to help my mother explain how mean and terrible my sisters were. (laughs) But you see, the thing about my mother is over the years, uh, she was kind of like one of these Roman authorities that we read about in the scriptures. Uh, She, over time, became less and less interested in fairness. She would always say, I'm not interested in justice. I'm interested in quiet." And so, if we ever brought a problem to her, we we often knew that we were going to be met with a question of, "Do you really want me to get involved?" Because if we got the boss involved, if we got uh, the one who decides life and death involved, we were all going to lose. So we might as well try to figure it out on our own before taking it to mom, because she was not interested in any. Of our defenses. Now, in our scripture reading this morning, uh, we find uh, one of the one of the final dramatic scenes of Jesus's life before the crucifixion, and all of the questions that he has faced over the this long journey towards the cross of. Uh, being arrested the night before and being put on trial in front of the council of religious authorities and the high priest, Jesus has been peppered with questions. And, and unlike me, Jesus finds no reason to defend himself. Jesus finds no reason to entertain any of these questions that are being thrown at him. But we find him in kind of this, this journey that we've been walking through in the Gospel of Mark over the last four weeks, finally in front of. Of the last bureaucratic checkbox that needs to be checked before he can be finally sentenced to death and crucified. And Jesus does not have a lot to say. And he faces one of the last questions in his life before he's crucified. As Pilate asks him, are you who they say you are. Are you the king of the Jews, like they told me that you said that you are? And Jesus speaks the last three words before his final words on the cross in the gospel of Mark. You say so, finding no need to defend himself, no need to explain, no miracle to work, no sermon to preach or teach in that moment but simply to take the question and prove ultimately just what kinda king he truly was now Pontius Pilate here in the Gospel of Mark is is almost painted in a little bit of a sympathetic picture Mark goes really easy on Pontius Pilate. In fact, he almost comes across as trying to get Jesus off the hook. He's he's trying to get Jesus, it seems like in the scripture, just just give me something. If it's a confession or testimony or evidence, give me some reason to let you off. And he takes it to the religious authorities, he takes it to the crowd. There seems to be these multiple opportunities that, that Pontius is trying to, it almost seems like do the right thing. But Mark, in this gospel, is a lot kinder to Pontius Pilate than, than history is. Different historians in different Roman letters, Agrippa I, uh, he described Pontius Pilate as obstinate and unyielding almost impossible to ever change his mind on anything. The Jewish historian Josephus, he wrote in his account of the Jewish wars, uh, this Pontius Pilate character would uh, often have no sympathy, would have no mercy on those that he governed. If somebody was to be killed, he often had no reason to ever let them off and just, just took the evidence that they automatically handed him. In fact, up to that point, uh, the, the, the idea of guilt was if you've ever come before him and you have no evidence in your case, you're automatically guilty. There wasn't a decision to make at all. But something happened in Pontius Pilate's experience as a leader in Judea. Uh, very early in his reign, uh, in his governorship, Josephus said that he brought at one point five Roman standards into the city of Jerusalem. These military staffs and banners that, that indicated the, uh, the units and the, um, the, the chain of command for the Roman military. And, and on those standards had pagan symbols of uh, the Roman imperial cult. And the presence of those pagan symbols on these military banners, five of them stationed outside his home, stirred up such protest and mobs outside of his house that for five days, the mobs could not convince Pontius Pilate to remove these symbols from the city. But on the fifth day, he got a little bit tired of the crowds and the mobs. And he dispatched the military to disperse the crowds in whatever level of violence was necessary to make everybody abandon the protest. And he found out a lesson about the Jews that he was governing that afternoon. And he found out that the crowds were more willing to be slaughtered and killed than to abandon the protest. And so upon seeing that, Pontius Pilate removed the five military standards with the pagan symbols of his own cult from the city in order to not be interested in justice or fairness, but to quell the rebellion that was starting to to grow right outside his front door. He found out that this is not a people to underestimate. They believe so deeply that they will give their very lives for what they believe in. Had never encountered this yet in his military career. That these are a people who will give everything for what they believe. So his question to Jesus in this light is very interesting to me. Because at no other point in history and no other account in the Roman or the the Jewish histories does Pontius Pilate come across as sympathetic. And so I wonder in our scripture, if he's not trying to get Jesus off, I wonder if nothing else, if Pilate is just curious. What is it about you? Of all of the militant divisions, of all the people that have, have stoked insurrection like Barabbas who's sitting in a cell right now, what is it about you, a Nazarene, a Galilean, a carpenter born up amongst the fishing villages in the north? What is it about you that has all of the authorities and all the powers and all the structures of this city turned upside down? Are you king of the Jews? I don't think Pilate had any doubt in his mind that this person in front of him didn't look like a king at all. There was no followers, there was no swords, there was no arms, there was no mobs of people beating down his door to to let their ruler go. In fact, how interesting must have been that he said, here it is that, that I can release somebody that hasn't tried to stoke a rebellion Whereas Barabbas, he's being held as an insurrectionist. He tried to overthrow the government. I could at least let the safe one go. The one that really just has a name but no army behind him. His question to Jesus almost as if he's not, he doesn't care at all about whether he's really a king. But a curiosity of just what sort of a king does this man think that he is. And so Pilate's question, are you the king of the Jews? is an interesting question because it falls in line with every other question that we've looked at over the last four weeks. Of God, do you even care about us? Of what's the most important thing you want us to do? to how do I get to heaven? And now, are you the king of the Jews? These are all good questions that have been asked from disciples to Roman authorities to outcasts and, and even us, questions that we bring to Jesus. But the thing that all these questions have in common is they come out of our own perspectives. They come out of our own views of how the world should work. They come out of all of our own insecurities. They come out of all of our own fears about us seeing the world and understanding that this is not how we feel like this should be. There is far too much fear and hurt, and there's far too much pain and tragedy. There's far too much loss. And in our insecurity of seeing the world through our own kingdom eyes of what we would like to see and our agendas of how we think the world should be, we ask questions of, God, where are you in our world? And Jesus does not have an answer to satisfy us. There's not a word that Jesus has spoken that has convinced us. There's not a word that he can stand in front of Pilate and say, here's a teaching, or here's a miracle, or here's anything else that you need to see. You have all of my Sermon on the Mounts and the miracles of feeding 5,000, 4,000 people, all these different miracles, casting out demons, healing the sick. If that hasn't convinced us yet, there's no answer to the question we can get now that will. But Jesus' response to all the questions that we've asked over the last four weeks, to all the questions we bring to Christ and the difficulty of our lives, to the questions that he gets in front of Pilate now, has the very same answer. Jesus says, let me show you. Let me show you what this kingdom is like. Let me show you what forgiveness is like. Let me show you what grace and mercy and life can look like. And when we see, when we see that Jesus takes on everything that the empire and and the authorities in the area tried to crush and kill Jesus with, he took all that power that was pressed against him to crush him, and he ended up breaking it and turning it into salvation. He turned it into life. He turned it into hope. And he shows us that all of our questions are inside out. All the questions that we bring about where is God in our world really can be turned into questions of us asking where can we be in your world, God? Not of where are you when, the life, when life gets hard and dark, but instead changing our questions of where can we be with you? Where can we take hope and mercy? Where can we come alongside others? Where can we go in your kingdom, God? Not do you care about us, but how can we take the love that you've shown us and now care for others? How can we be the hope? How can we be the signs of grace and mercy that this world needs now more than ever? And so a better question for today For Jesus is not, are you who they say that you are? But to turn that question inside out of, are you who you say that you are? And when Jesus shows us just how far he's willing to go for us, to pour out his very life for us, to go to the cross for us with no defense and no testimony and no excuse, but to boldly go and to proclaim that there is no power over in this world that can chain us down, but God breaks it. He says, come let me show you and invite you to be a part of the creation of something new. We get that perfect picture in the book of Revelation, of a future where there's pain and tears and loss and grief all wiped away, a future where there's no more questions about how deeply does God care or is God with us, because God will be with us so closely that it says he'll be our God and we will be his people and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so our questions when we turn them inside out are now, God, how can I join you in the work of making all things new? And that's a question that can get us started today. Amen and amen. Will you pray with me today? Almighty and gracious God, we give you thanks. Lord, we give you thanks for your word, for your scriptures that remind us that Lord, there are times where we don't always get the answers to our questions that we think that we need but there are always moments when you show us exactly what we need. That even in moments of loss of hurt, Lord of darkness, of hardship that you have shown us before you've ever told us that you are always with us that you love us, that you desire a life with us, and Lord, you desire for us to come follow you in the rebuilding of creation into something new, a future and a life and a world where we can always be with you. As we pray all these things, Lord, we ask that you lead us and guide us as weak as we do this all in Jesus' name, amen and amen.